Have you ever had the Christmas blues? Is there a way to really look forward to the holiday? Are those packages under the tree really going to make you happy? Our study leader, Dave Wurtson, helps us take a good look at reality and the real reason for the season. You look around the world and you hear silent night, holy night, and peace on earth, goodwill towards men. At this Christmas season, we don't see a lot of that. I'm not really too worried about the children. They're just kind of all caught up in the joyous, anticipatory spirit. As I watch the kids, I find in my own personality that I can begin to covet. Now, the last commandment is, thou shalt not covet. But as an adult, you know, you watch your kids and you remember all those Christmases that you've had in the past when you were all caught up in the Christmas spirit and all full of anticipation. And yet as an adult, you're really thoroughly convinced that the presence underneath the tree will not bring lasting joy and happiness. You see, when I was about Josh's age and I looked at those toys underneath the tree, I had a deep commitment, I had a deep belief that what was in those boxes would make me eternally happy on Christmas morning once I got to tear open all that beautiful paper and begin to play with those toys. But, you know, after you do this year in and year out, and Christmas Day Eve comes, and a lot of your toys didn't have batteries, and a lot of your toys broke, or mom and dad forgot to get you the one vital piece so you couldn't play with some of them. And then all the toys, maybe three or four weeks after Christmas, were kind of discarded and you moved on to bigger and better things. You see, when you're a kid, when you do that year in and year out and you're disappointed again and again and again, you start putting two and two together so that by the time you get to be an adult, Christmas comes and you have dark circles under your eyes. Some of your wives, you've been baking and you've got flowers still on your hands. I can see it this morning because you're just so covered over trying to get all those goodies made. And what I'm really concerned about is that a lot of the adults seem to have a good case of the Christmas blues. And what I want us to do as believers is to try to really think about what causes the Christmas blues. And it's unfulfilled hopes, unfulfilled dreams, presents that break, Christmas lights that the whole string goes out because one bulb is blown out, and songs that kind of really don't have meaning. So I was thinking this week that as believers, if ever there was a group of people who should be vibrant, who should be full of joy at this time of the year, it should be adult believers. You say, why should we be, Dave? I might lose my job. There really isn't going to be near the Christmas that there's been in other years. Well, I want to try to really turn on the lights for you and to try to give you a present that will never wear out and a light that will never burn out. I want to try to give you a hope that even as an adult, you can have joy at this Christmas season. And we're going to begin like this. You've all heard the slogan, cheer up, things could get worse. Cheer up, things could get worse. And sure enough, tell me. Things got worse. Turn in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 8. One of the best ways to deal with the Christmas blues is just to think about how bad things could really be. You might not have any money in your bank account today. You might have just a few empty boxes underneath your tree. I really don't think most of you are in that kind of a situation. 
but you're feeling blue because this Christmas brings back a lot of very difficult memories for some of you. You see, if you're depressed, just begin thinking about things that are much more depressing. You see, it's kind of a reverse psychology. If you think things are bad now, let's just imagine the way things really could be. As we open our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 8, you have a case of cheer up, things could get worse. Look at verse 19. When men tell you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God, the prophet asked? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law, to the testimony. If the whispers and mutterers do not speak according to this word, and this word is the law and the testimony, they do not have the light of dawn. You know, we have a lot to be thankful for. If you're blue this Christmas, cheer up. Things could be worse. Because in ancient Israel, in the 8th century, things really were bad. There's idolatry of materialism, but in ancient Israel, they didn't have Christmas carols going in the markets. They didn't have praise to the Messiah going in the market. You know what they were doing in the 8th century as Isaiah began to write? They were having seances. They were frightened. You see, there was an enemy that was right on the horizons named the Assyrians. And those Assyrians would come marching into a nation and pregnant mothers, like we all rejoice with the new babies. In ancient Israel, the Assyrians would come in and just tear pregnant mothers open. Wouldn't even tell you that, but the scripture mentions that several times in the prophets. A vicious, angry people. They would pile corpses along the roads. They were angry, vicious. They would just go into towns and butcher half the population and rape the other half kill children, take them into slavery. The Assyrian army capitalized on fear. It was kind of like the ancient equivalent of a communist takeover in China in the early days. That's the kind of a situation that the people of Israel were facing as Isaiah wrote. And instead of praying, you see, if we were facing that kind of a need, we would have unbelievable prayer times in our church. You see, that's the kind of men and women of faith that were in the Old Testament. They would gather together in a meeting like this and they would pray, Dear Lord, keep the Assyrians north of the Oklahoma border. Boy, you really get prayer when you got that kind of a conflict in mind. Okay? Not to the Oklahoma. Any Oklahoma people, I'm not comparing you to Assyria this morning, okay? But you'll get the idea. And instead of praying, the people were consulting the dead. They were gathering together in seances. And a leader of the seance would start to murmur, like this. And everybody would try to get into touch with their inner spirit. And they would concentrate on their heartbeat. And as they started to just zero out all the thoughts, all the extraneous thought, they would begin to concentrate on their heartbeat. And they would try to reach beyond. And sometimes there would be a materialization in the room. And some kind of a spirit of the dead would be there. You remember King Saul? And the witch of Endor, as the witch of Endor began to go through her conjuring, suddenly there was a materialization. She was shocked by it. Ordinarily, it was probably just kind of a magical trick. But this time, she actually did talk to the dead. That was going on in 8th century B.C., Israel. Instead of praying to the Lord God of Israel, they were praying to the dead. And so Isaiah says, why should you consult the dead on behalf of the living. 
Why should we be joyful at this Christmas season? Because you, as a group of born-again believers, for the most part, are not consulting the dead, but consulting the living. If you're blue this Christmas because there's not enough money to have as big a Christmas as at other years, then let's concentrate on some other things. Let's praise the Lord that in our family, that our only answer is not found in the occult. And you say, well, Dave, you know, that was all ancient B.C. Israel. That's not really what's going on in our own culture. There's nobody that's really consulting the dead on behalf of the living or involved in whispering and murmurings. I just finished reading Counseling and Psychotherapy. It's kind of an overview of starting with Freud and goes through an analysis of Freud. Then it comes right on into behaviorism with Skinner, into Rogerian theory with existential humanistic theories. And then it ends with what we call the transpersonal approach. Listen to this. For the last thousand or more years, science and religion have been struggling over the definition of human nature. Scientists believed religion was superstitious and lacked empirical proof for dogma. Philosophers and religious leaders believed science to be hopelessly heartless and oversimplified. Transpersonal psychology can best be described as a bridge between science and religion, the joining of theory and intuition. The psychotherapies and counseling theories of this text are culturally bound, and they fail to take into account developments in the Eastern world, such as yoga, Zen Buddhism, and mystical ways of being. And then Alan E. Ivey goes on to describe meditation techniques, goes on to describe yoga techniques, right on into the Eastern mystical religions. Why? Because our culture in that segment many times is turning away from the revelation of God's word. And so Isaiah the prophet said, why should you consult the dead? Who are you going to get in touch with as you try to go beyond your personality, as you try to get together with other people who are following the ways of spiritism? Because transpersonal techniques and meditation techniques and trying to get outside your physical body and being able to get in touch with the beyond is not something new that transpersonal psychology is coming up with. It's something that's been going on since ancient, ancient times. There's always been the murmurers and the whisperers and the seance and the wizard and the soothsayer and the necromancer. And young people and adults, you're going to face that within your culture. And you need to be alert to that. It comes up in some very strange places. The scripture says, don't contact the Yidonim. Remember back several years ago when I told you about Yoda? You see, you see Yoda, the little wizard. And it's just a very mild form in Star Wars, but it's just the basic thing that you have here. Yoda the knowledgeable one, Hebrew, yada, the one who knows, yoda, the one who knows, plural, yidonim. In the 8th century B.C. Israel, they were consulting the yidonim, the abot, the necromancers who consoled the dead, and they were consulting the yidonim, the knowledgeable ones. Our culture is filled with that because people on the secular world are turning away from an inspired text they don't have a sure word from God. And if you don't have a sure word from God in the Holy Scripture, then you have to try to find the answer to spiritual realities in something beyond. And the tragedy of that is that instead of getting in touch 
with the true Lord Jesus Christ, you end up getting in touch with the spirit world of the demonic realm. Jesus said, he who tries to climb up another way is a thief and a robber. And what I want you to really begin thanking the Lord for is that things could be worse. There still is a large group of people in Midlothian and Waxahachie and Cedar Hill and Mansfield and Dallas and in the United States, literally in the world, there are still many hundreds of thousands of people who are not consulting the dead. Instead, they're worshiping the true living God. You see, you might be intimidated. And some of you at work might think that your belief in the Lord Jesus is kind of a naive kind of on the equivalent to believing in Santa Claus. And your friends mock you and they say, man, alive, I gave up my belief in those kind of mystical fairy tales. And when you're all by yourself as a believer in Christ at work, you can get intimidated by that. At this Christmas season, I want to encourage you. Every one of your unbelieving friends is enslaved by their passions. They're enslaved in worshiping the dark side. And the very fact that they can't escape the very fact that they can't escape the spiritual world should be a reaffirmation of how vital and how significant and how important what we're doing here this morning really is. You see, I began reading a book on Freudianism where Freud is denying God and traditional Christianity is terrible. And I begin a book with Freud, anti-God very much so, anti-Christianity, and what do I end up with? I end up with transpersonal, very similar kinds of occult thinking. Why? Because man can't escape the spiritual. You can't just live in this here below world. You know that you're going to go somewhere and you're hungry to find out where you're going to go and you're looking for answers beyond yourself. If you have any smarts at all, you're doing that. And this morning, I want to just join with you and reaffirm our faith to the law to the testimony. You see, what's produced the idea of giving to the poor and caring for those in need? It was a Savior who said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Satan doesn't teach that it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's only the influence of our Savior that it's marvelously worked among our hearts to cause us to want to reach out and love other people. Where does that love come from? from the work of the Holy Spirit, working through the law and the testimony. So let's join together and thank the Lord at this Christmas season for the law and to the testimony. If you're studying psychology, if you're studying physics, if you're studying chemistry, if you're studying any field, if they don't speak according to this word, they don't have the light of dawn, the text tells us. They don't have the light of dawn. It rained a long time this last couple of weeks, didn't it? Man, doesn't that get depressing? Makes me think I'm living in New Jersey again. You know, the sun used to go down about the end of November, and then the sun came up again just a little bit before Easter. You know, that gets to be a long time. It's dark and it's cloudy and it's rainy only back there. We used to have slush, the black snow. A lot of you don't know what black snow is. In New York, New Jersey, we had black snow everywhere. Beautiful. Beautiful. You've always said, over the ground is a mantle of soot. That gets really depressing. It's really depressing. There's no light of dawn. But you know, one day this week, on Wednesday morning, 
that I have to run. It's been so rainy and foggy. It's kind of like running on Mars or something, or running through clouds. But on Wednesday, about halfway through, the sun started coming up out of that eastern sky. That really does something for you. Even do night people can still feel the exhilaration of the light of dawn. It's a beautiful image. Don't miss it. Isaiah the prophet says, as we're gathered this morning, the light of dawn has dawned in our hearts. We live in a church family where we can open up this precious book. And instead of it being darkness, instead of consulting the dead on behalf of the living, we can open up this book and we consult the ultimate living one on behalf of a group of people who are really alive. You see, you are really alive this morning. The light of dawn has shined in your hearts. And you might be getting older, and your Christmases might not bring all the hit that they used to bring. But if you can recapture the truth, then you can become childlike in every sense of the word. The Lord Jesus, through his power, can even make you giddy in celebration. Because we've found the law and the testimonies, the authoritative word of God. Cheer up. Things could get worse. We could live in a land where everybody was going to the occult instead of going to church to learn about Christ and going to the Holy Scriptures to hear his voice. Cheer up. Things could be worse. Look at verse 21. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged and look upward, and they will curse their king and their god. They will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into outer darkness. Cheer up, things could be worse. The Assyrians have come down, 733 B.C. Tiglath-Pileser took Zebulun and Naphtali, northern upper Galilee and lower Galilee, made them an Assyrian province, butchered on much of the population, deported the rest of the population, and anybody that's left, is just scavenging around the countryside. Is anybody here really famished this morning? I really don't see any candidates. How many of you have decided that after the holiday, New Year's Day Eve, no, wait till the day after New Year's, the day after New Year's, you're going to start dieting. How many of you have made that resolution? This is confession time. Hands high. All right. I really don't see anybody that's really famished. So cheer up. You, you, you're discouraged this morning. Some of you have the blues. You might lose your time. You've got food in your stomach. Most of you are still able to have eggs this morning or Cheerios. Israel was really in trouble. Some of you that lived during the Depression, you thought it was bad back then. It was not nearly as bad. No army rolled over the United States. See, those of you that are older, you say to watch young upstarts and say, man, you don't know how bad it can get. Well, the Israelites of 8th century B.C. would walk in here and say, don't talk to me about the Depression. There was nothing depressing about that. You try on the Assyrians if you want to. You see, we can get into a, a Super Bowl of depression. My depressing state is much more depressing than yours. But this northern kingdom of Israel, they were starving. They were running around the countryside. Now, to be honest with you and serious with you for a minute, some of you really have gone through some very dark times. You see, a lot of you are thoroughly convinced that if we get people hungry enough, and if God gives people a hard enough time, they'll really turn to God. You know, for example, if there's someone very sick in your family, 
that's going to really turn you to God. Or if you lose a loved one or if you lose a child, certainly that will turn you to God, won't it? Not necessarily. You see, when you go through the big crunches in your life, like the Assyrian invasions that we might face, like a death, like a terminal illness, or like an illness that's just going to go on and on and you're not going to ever really get victory over it, you can do one of two things. And a lot of people do the wrong thing. The book of Revelation tells us about a group of people that begin to face horrible judgments and war and famine and deprivation. And they say, oh, God, and they curse them. Man, they blame the whole thing on God. They get really, really angry. And it's not just a normal process of working through anger. They just curse God and die. Remember Job's wife when Job was going through a very depressing time? And Job had boils all over him, and he was covered with soot and charcoal and sitting on this ash heap. Man, just a super guy. What a picture of the Christmas spirit. His dear darling wife came up to him and said, Job, why don't you get it over with? Curse God and get on with it. Die. Really encouraging. You love wives like that. They really keep you going on those ash heaps, right? And what did Job do? You see, Job was one man. Very special man. His family could be taken away from him. His kids could die. His physical health could go. But he knew that even on the ash heap of life, with boils over, all over his body, Job still knew if he had God, if he still had God, even if he had to argue with God, even if he had to tell God all of his troubles, and I'm not telling you to keep all your anger inside because you read the book of Job. Job spills all that anger on God. Man, he just tells God off. And God tells him off. They have a real living, vital relationship. But the one thing Job never did is he never turned his face. He never cursed God. Because when you do curse God like that, and I'm not talking about just a flippant remark. I'm talking about when very deep in your being, you just totally reject him and turn away from him in complete darkness. You walk into the land of the dead. Why didn't Job curse God and die? Because to curse God like that is to die. Because all the love, the joy, all the happiness, all the enthusiasm, all the fun, all the happiness, listen everyone, it's really true. It's found in God alone. Thank you, Dave. We invite you to join us again next week for the conclusion of this study from Isaiah chapter 8 and 9, entitled, The Christmas Light. 